like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk welcome to the latest episode of the just not sports podcast this is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like just not sports on today's show we will break down the new Dance record from NBA veteran and Michigan State University basketball great Final Four participant Maurice Ager. We go deep on the art and science of making music to make you move. And with the holidays approaching, we are going to throw out our Just Not Sports athlete-focused gift guide. Trust me. Get your credit cards out, dial up whatever, Amazon, what, what, wherever, and get ready to spend. All of your holiday shopping will be done in the next hour. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me this week, cars are about to jump off the road. Planes are falling from the sky iTunes is still not loading our logo. It's all four members of the Just Not Sports crew. And I'm going to start in Seattle introducing. He is a producer, a baller, a shot caller, Mr. Joe Reed. Joe. Did Joe Joe? drop off the phone? He's dead again. <laughs> we knew this would happen. Oh god, no! I was on mute. I was on oh mute. I'm so god, sorry. Joe. Look at that. It's like I was. So, he's it's like, so it's like I was never here. Oh this god, that's a great. That's a great. That's the. That is the perfect way to segue back into being on the show. Is just being here and still uh, not being committed to being on the show. <laughs> so that's what's going on. <laughs> uh, so what? what g- give us a quick snapshot into the life of uh, of Joe Reed. Um, oh God, this is like on the spot. Life is good. It's, uh, it's living the Pacific Northwest life. It's being outside a little bit more than it was in Chicago. It's a little bit more moderate here. Work is good. Got some awesome projects coming up. Um, I'm living the bachelor life for the next few weeks while my wife is, uh, traveling internationally for work. So that's exciting. I'm home alone, uh, when it gets dark out at four o'clock and she is right now, um, on a beach in Australia. So... Wow. Things are things are going all right, you know. We're we're doing all right out here. Spoken nice. like a young, not bitter, not bitter man. I'm really excited about some <laughs> projects at work. Yeah, we'll take it, Joe. We'll take it. You've also heard. Let's go back to Chicago. He is a nationally recognized sports PR professional who has logged time with the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. He is Adam Millard. Adam, be honest. Did you ever think Joe was coming back? Yeah, I think I thought he'd want to bask in the glory of the 99th and 100 episodes, but I think it'll be at least 156 before we hear from him again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, every half every half century is what it's probably averaging out to. So uh, that's probably right. 
And the other half of our bi-coastal divisions within Just Not Sports, he is a seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer in our Brooklyn Bureau, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, okay, sw- I'm going I'm to change it up real quick. What's the most Christmassy thing that has emerged in New York uh, in early December here? It's like early December when we're taping this. So uh, what, what's the most noticeable sign of, of Christmas? Oh, that is easy. That is the the dudes who have set up their Christmas tree sales on my corner. Uh, so basically, people start selling Christmas like any like open corner lot or open area, like for a seasonal area. People will set up and start selling Christmas trees as soon as humanly possible. So if you go to the end of my block, there's the guys and the little like. There's like this little area that's not quite retail. It's by an empty lot, and they're all set up slanging Christmas trees every day. So that is the surest sign that the holidays are upon us. <laughs> I, uh, it's funny because a couple years ago, my, my wife is a real tree. Um, I don't even know what you would call it, like hardliner. Like she thinks fake trees are just the worst. I grew up with a fake tree, so that's all I knew. So I did the real tree thing with her in our apartment in Chicago when we moved in together. We did it. We came up here, but we we let it dry. We bought a tree in the rain and we let it dry overnight in the garage, and that seals up the uh, the trunk cut. And so the tree was in water on the stand, but it was slowly dying. And unfortunately, what happened was all these bugs that were like living within the wet tree emerged <laughs> into our house and our entire house with a two-year-old baby uh, w- was just just covered in gross little natty style bugs. So after that, I just said, now I'm the hardliner. It's fake trees until the kids get old <laughs> enough. It's fake trees until the kids get old enough to help clean up the bugs. Oh, yeah. Ugh, ugh. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, right now we're going to take the open of the show and make it wide open. And speaking of Christmas, this is a Gareth Hughes special. Gareth suggested we do a athlete's gift guide where we look back at the culture of sports and figure out what 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 on the fringes. What are the the you know, yeah, sure. Let let grandpa give you the uh, Carson Wentz jersey. I want to give you the 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 illegally burned DVDs of the T. Ocho show. What is out there in the sports world that you think would be a, make a good Christmas gift? And Gareth, since this is your idea, we want to start with you, buddy. Uh, what's on your What's on your just not sports <laughs> list? You're love this, Brad. Um, I, 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 this was my idea, and I was pretty excited about it. But uh, unfortunately, uh, I have some bad <laughs> oh, no. news, and that is, I took it seriously, <laughs> and so I have some actual recommendations to make <laughs> okay gareth like gareth actual adam things and i, adam and I were both own. thinking he didn't do it <laughs> like we just were sitting here like no no <laughs> he didn't do it <laughs> no so uh i didn't do it for athletes but there were just um i wanted to point out some of the things that have come out this past year with some past guests and some upcoming guests that i think that our listeners should know about so if you want to start this earnestly, I can do that. Or we can close with the earnest section. It's entirely your call. Adam, Adam, what's on Adam, what's on your list? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, 
if, this is going as smoothly as I blame Joe Reed for this. Um, <laughs> hey, I did nothing Reed's, wrong. I did nothing except yeah, not prepare so my any question, gifts. Though, I, I was going to nothing. ask the question, is this, is this athlete-related gifts? Is this sports-related gifts? Like, what exactly are we giving away? Okay, I'm going to go first. And maybe everyone will just yeah. take their cue from that. <laughs> Yeah. All right, guys. I mean, I have some ideas, but I want to know which lane to go. I've got three things on my list. All right, and and they they range the full gamut because I, you know, I just I I prepare like Jordan on the practice court. I might punch Steve Kerr in the face. Looking up my list, that's how intensely I take it. I want to start with a book of art projects from Aaron Mabin, who former guest on the show. Uh, someone who we've interacted with a lot, shared a lot of his artwork on on our, our Twitter and Instagram. Uh, he's a really passionate artist and a, a, an outspoken member of uh, the athletic uh, black community. He was a um, uh, NFL uh, veteran, first-round draft pick. And he's got a new book called Art Activism. When, when he did the show with us, and I, I, I forget, forgive me, I, I forget which episode it exactly was, but when he did our show, he talked about how he uses his art to speak about social causes. And look, I get it. It's everyone's exhausted on politics. I don't really care what your politics are. If if anyone's politics are this like visually stimulating and exciting, I think take a look at it. Art should challenge us uh, and, and, and push us to have mental conversations that uh, take us out of our comfort zone. Aaron's art is, is vibrant. It's interesting. It, it got Garrett's attention. And that says a lot since he's a, He's a uh, art aficionado, and I think this book's really interesting. And and go to Aaron's, uh, you know, um, just Google him. Go to his uh, Instagram or or Twitter to figure out how to order. But definitely like it. And Gareth, real quick before I move on, I got a couple more. Uh, give us give our listeners like a stylistic overview of like what uh, Aaron's art was, if you remember. Uh, it it, it was sort of a, a heightened realist. Um, figurative view of the American black experience, as I recall. And he was uh, honestly like, he's somebody that I want to talk about later. That was one of my favorite interviews we've ever done because it was one of the single most surprising. Um, and I, I think it was one of the interviews that I learned the most from. So uh, Aaron Maven, he's he's got real talent, but more than that, um, there's some real intellectual rigor behind it and he's, he's doing it the right way. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of like a heightened realistic portrait of, um, the black experience, my next one is the TB 12 method, how to achieve a lifetime of sustained <laughs> peak performance, the Tom Brady diet <laughs> book. Um, I mean, this thing's batshit, right, guys? Like, I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> it's the uh, I'm I'm genetically blessed, and I've managed to be I've managed to play in the NFL for many years, and here are the things I've done that you will do them, and they won't work for you. But please buy my book and my subsequent products. No, it's it's quack stuff. Like, it feels like quackery. Uh, like, like. 18th late 1800s uh traveling medicine show uh try this elixir try this try that kind of 
uh, pseudoscience. So yeah, yeah. so yeah, he has yeah. his his magic Under Armour pajamas that keep you cool at night. I don't know, crack a window, I say, but whatever works for you, <laughs> Tom Brady. I want to read you guys a selection of this Amazon review. <laughs> There's only a handful. I mean, most of them are just like Pats fans bumping up the uh, the Amazon ratings. But some of these are really funny. Like th- this guy being like, it's a marketing ploy for TB12 and extra cash for Brady like he needs it. But I caved and got it because he does walk the walk. <laughs> and then later <laughs> he goes, doesn't seem like they spent a lot of time on it. Quote, Eat as much real, organic, and local food as you can. Really? No new news. Also, no references <laughs> to any sources. This is a must-read on an ironic level and definitely made the Brad Burke list. And just, uh, you know, I, I, I want to end up, I got one more, guys. And this one's serious. This is my serious edition. We spend so much time now consuming remakes of movies, there's a movie I've always said we should remake, The Dirty Dozen. I mean, this movie is essentially the Suicide Squad, but good. And it's got Jim Brown playing the best role of his career, if you ask me. But it's got Lee Mage, no, not, no, Lee Marvin, I think. I don't know. It's got a bunch of white dudes who are pretty badass, too. Charles Bronson's <laughs> in it. And, man, it's like killing Nazis blowing up nazis with grenades jim brown being a hard ass um less violence against women than a lot of other jim brown stories so not to i'm not (laughs) sugarcoating his problematic past which is really problematic but uh i recommend that put on my list and i think you know if you want to sit down with uh you know sit down with 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 your with your dad or your grandpa or something and just rock out dirty dozen i'm sure they'll appreciate it all right adam you know, wait, I'm yeah, jumping in so on I, the template here. I, I want to jump okay. in because, like, Brad, what you did is basically what I did. So, ba- like, I when I said I, I did make this list, I even solicited a quote from somebody. But I just, I went about it earnestly. Let, I, like, I thought we were making up, like, joke gifts for, like, for, for Le'Veon Bell. I give you a metronome so you can ride the beat or something like that. Like, I did it earnestly, but so did you. So now I, I realize I'm in the right ballpark that's what I'm saying. i was totally earnest i mean you should definitely do the tom brady diet <laughs> totally totally so um friend of pod from earlier in the year new york times writer shreeder papu who brad and i went to t- uh high school with he published a book this year uh called the year of the pitcher it is about uh 1968 uh the world series uh bob gibson and denny mclean and so I had dinner with him a couple of weeks ago, and uh, this morning I, I remembered we were doing this, so I actually wrote to him for a quote if he wanted to contribute anything. So he said, and I quote, this is a Just Not Sports exclusive, quote, I guess I'd like to think of the book as one that explores baseball through the lenses of complex characters in a period of transition, not only for the game of baseball itself, but for the country. It doesn't rely on sentiment, but tries to answer what the game actually meant in American society as the latter was at war within itself. It seeks to unpack myths while at the same time bringing to life great figures who did remarkable things culminating in 1968. He ends by asking, is that too cheesy? 
So I'll leave that to our readers, but The Year of the Pitcher from Friend of Pod, Shreeder Papu is out, and I am, Dad, don't listen to this. I'm buying that for you for Christmas. The other one, and uh, this is a preview for an upcoming guest, is a book called Down Under by Casey Barrett. Um, He is a friend of mine here in New York. He is a former Olympic swimmer. Uh, for the nation of oh excuse me not down under underwater it is book one in the Duck Darley series Duck Darley is his uh, his uh, crime fighting alter ego it is a crime novel it was just published this week and Casey Barrett will be joining us in the next couple weeks to discuss this book so underwater the first Duck Darley novel will also probably be given to my families this year. Uh, that is another one for the Just Not Sports gift guide. Nice, man. Nice. All right, Adam. Adam, hit it, man. Yeah, I hate following. I always hate following Gareth because I sound so basic um, after See, his. I feel like uh, I have no humor. I'm a humorless schmuck, so it's all yeah. right, dude. I, no, you've yeah, you've, you are. That's so, cool. No, no, no. So I, I have a few things, mainly things I want for myself. Uh, so, uh, the best pair of shoes, in my opinion, ever made are the Kyrie Fours uh, that came out in the past year. I have two pairs: a black pair and a white pair. So, more of a very simple recommendation: go on the Nike sneakers app, buy a pair of Kyrie Fours. They are good for. Uh, a casual shoe, basketball workouts, whatever. I know that sounds really simple, but I'm a huge Kyrie Irving fan. I always have been, even before uh, LeBron came to Cleveland. Um, so it, I'm kind—I of, guess you could say I'm a bit of a sneakerhead, and I love those almost as much as my Starburys. Um, Roots of Fight just put out a Daryl Strawberry collection, so. Uh, I think early on in this podcast, I talked about Roots of Fight. They are a t-shirt and apparel company that put out uh, t-shirts primarily with fighters' names on them. But in the past year or so, they've gotten into football, basketball. So there's Dennis Rodman, Allen Iverson shirts out there. Um, They've done uh, a little bit of football. And the latest is their Daryl Strawberry collection. I kind of have a little bit, I struggle a little bit with wearing his name, but I think it's such a rare item and a tribute to a guy who was a great player. Uh, at one point, check out Roots of Fight um, for their Daryl Strawberry collection and and many others. I, believe, uh, I want wasn't Roots yeah. of Fight your first distraction on here? Like when we started the distraction segment, probably. I think it might have been your first one. Yeah, yeah. So I probably have four or five of their shirts at this point, and uh, I will keep going. They also have, and this is what I want Brad to buy me. Why Brad? I don't know, because he'll follow through. Um, I want the Muhammad Ali uh, versus Bruce Lee T-shirt that they just put out. So, Brad, check that out. Uh, And then, lastly, all I really want for Christmas, because it happens so rarely, Ladies and gentlemen, we do this show from our homes uh, using cell phone and, and our own mic setups. I would oh, like to know. do. They know. I, yeah, they know. <laughs> uh, I would like for us early 2018 
to do a show all together again because as much fun as this is, there is still the separation of the phone. So I uh, I know Brad's talked about this a little bit, but how about a live show with the four of us and our four fans? That would be really <laughs> Dude, I got it right now. We're going to do it in Seattle because the Joe Reed fans are going to turn out. Oh, it's going to be wild. Wild. Adam, this uh, this uh, this Roots of Fight has a Shaq collection that I'm I'm checking out right now. Yes, sir. Oh yeah. Uh huh. All right, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> this might I might have to amend I might have to amend my Christmas list for Adam, which normally is just eBay Bengals jerseys. Well, I think Gareth is right about the uh, the shirts that Adam's talking about. I specifically remember recording with you guys, and as we were recording, this is probably like two years ago, like Googling as we were recording the shirts and being like, oh, damn, these are super dope. You you say you were typing during an episode? I would never do that. So what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also do have uh, one recommendation I would make. It's sports related, and I'm currently reading it right now. You guys have probably heard of it, but when we f- when we moved to Seattle, um, we went out and got drinks with some uh, new colleagues of my wife's, and we got to talking about X, Y, and Z. I don't know how it came up, but w- one of her friends mentioned this book called Boys in the Boat. I don't know if you guys have heard of this book. Um, nope. But it's uh, yeah. the story about yeah. how the University of Wa- it's the University of Washington crew team and how sort of against all the odds um, and sort of fighting through struggle with their families through the Great Depression, these these group of guys came together from the University of Washington and went over to compete um, in Nazi Germany and eventually won the gold medal. So I'm not done with the book by any means, but um, it's been a great read so far, and it's Seattle-related, so that's a recommendation I would make. And then for some reason, when, Brad, you sent this email through about gift ideas and, you know, just it was like the Just Not Sports Holiday Gift Guide. I was like, OK, weird, weird gifts. I don't I, I honestly didn't know how to interpret it. And yes, this this template that you're giving us has been helpful. The first thing I thought of and don't don't ask me why was a fan. It's this fan that I saw recently that you clip onto your waistband and funnels air to cool your balls. I, I don't know why I thought of that for the holiday gift guide for this show, but I was like, do you know what it, do you want to know what it's called? It's called the blow jab. I don't know why, but uh, that's what I thought of. There you go. Those are my two. I, I feel like only Joe obligated. Reed could get away with that. Yeah. We are now contractually obligated to point out that for me, it would cool my ball. if you order now you get half off (laughs) cyber monday deals all week anyways that's all i got no better no better way to end the first ever just not sports gifts guide than that clusterfuck of a finish so right now we are going to end wide open we are going to go to our interview with michigan state and NBA veteran Maurice Mo Ager. He is a musician now. His career has ended. He is uh, forging a new path. Uh, we sat down and talked about his new album, which he dropped earlier this fall. Um, 
it's a real dance. Uh, it, it's a real dance. Uh, you know, CD. It's a uh, upbeat fusion songs that blend his love of hip hop with uh, sort of an emerging interest in uh, house and electronic music. We talk about whether if the Spartans make the uh, final four, he will uh, record another uh, another rap song chronicling the journey. Spoiler alert: No, he's no, he will not. He said, and uh, <laughs> and we talk about and we talk about why recording artists sometimes decide to misspell words on purpose and what goes into that. Stay tuned. You will want to hear his thought process there. And after that, we will be back to give you some distractions. Stick around. I want to start with this. What is more intimidating, my friend? Is it suiting up for the Final Four or the NBA, or is it staring down a Michael Jackson song and realizing you're about to mix it and just really, really hoping you don't mess up one of the most cherished things on earth? Because PYT, man, you're not messing around. You're going for the big guns. <laughs> That's hilarious. I wasn't even thinking about it like that. But um, uh, No, it's cool. I mean, it's hard to compare the two. Uh, obviously, you know, the final four is like one of the more most memorable moments in, in history. You know, uh, you know, music is amazing. Basketball is amazing. But uh, I think both of them just like kind of just two different, two different feelings. But uh, and it's funny. I, I mean, honestly, as much as I love Michael Jackson and I feel like it was a, a wonderful remix, I wasn't really looking at it like, oh, my gosh, I messed this up. I was just like, you know what? I just felt like it was uh, something I wanted to remake. And um I feel like it turned out good for what it was. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't trying to, like, you know, I would do Mike or nothing like that. But, you know, I just feel like it was just a nice little something to sample, you know? I'ma take it to the max. I ain't got to settle. I'ma take it to the rack. You don't get a metal bullshit, and I'ma pedal with the facts. Michael Jackson on the track. Somebody challenged me to sample Michael. PYT, I might recycle. The more you glow, they might not like you. I get more love from stranger these days. And shit is getting so much stranger these days. It's getting kind of sick with the games that we playing. We ain't learn from mistakes, that's why they be replaying. I get more love from stranger these days. And shit is getting so much stranger these days. It's getting kind of sick with the games that we playing. We learn from mistakes. That's yeah, no, absolutely, man. And and I I gotta tell you, it was very refreshing to to click on the album and have it be this much of a dance album. I mean, clearly you're blending a lot of elements of hip hop and and different types of dance music, but it's really energetic. It's really upbeat. Um, how did you sort of come up with the overall, uh, I guess you could say the overall energy, the overall sound, um, you know, for, for the project and, and what do you, I guess, where do you kind of credit the sources of inspiration there? Uh, honestly, I credit it to, um, a party I went to in Santa Barbara, like at the start of the summer. Um, one of me and my homie Will, and, uh, my homie Z, um, uh, we was like, yo, uh, we like, yo, what we gonna do this weekend? We was like, man, shoot, let's go to Santa, um, Santa Barbara. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> Never been to Santa Barbara. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Let's go. And um, so we go out there for the night. But when we get there, uh, we get there the same day of. We found out about this techno dance house party that was going on. I was like, uh, I don't know if I really want to go to no techno. But, man, when I get there, I'm just like, okay, the vibe was so dope. Like, it was like a, um, it was almost like some Desert Heart type stuff kind of kind of deal. Like, yeah. on, 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 like Burning, Burning Man, like those type of people. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I, I got a lot of hippie, hippie, hippiness in my nature. So it kind of was just like, I'm like, yo, this is a, a dope, uh, dope environment, first and foremost. And then, um, 
you know, and then obviously the music itself was just like jamming, man. It was like I saw the way people was moving to it, man. It felt free. And um, you know, once I left that party, man, I just knew that like I wanted to like make that type of music. Like I felt like I wanted to implement what I was already doing musically, like hip hop and then just like, you know, just you know, trying to create my own sound. Yeah, how much experimentation did that require? I mean, did you did you need to link up with some other folks who sort of had their roots in house music, or was it pretty easy for you to just sort of venture out and, and find your own you know, blend of sounds? Oh um, no, I was pretty much I was doing fusion fusion music prior, like along the lines of just always you know implementing different genres and stuff. But uh, I just felt like you know um I thought it would be dope to like speed up hip hop, you know, pretty much you know mm-hmm. everything is done at you know, any, either anywhere between 115 BPM and 125 and 130. So I was like, I think it'd be dope to actually speed it up at certain elements and, um, you know, still keep the theme along the lines of four to the, four to the floor type beat. Are you a good dancer? That's my, I, I really got to ask that, man, because it's a dance. It's, 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 it's the type of music that you're going to see played at parties, played in a club. How good of a dancer are you, my friend? I mean, I grew, man. You know, I wouldn't consider myself like one of them crazy dancers. You know what I mean? I got a few little go-to moves and other than that. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> when you're when you're talking about, you just mentioned like the, just you know, kind of pre-planning the beats, the pacing, that kind of stuff. When you're think when you're writing music, thinking about getting a crowd off its feet, getting people to move. There's an art to it, of course, um, and a creativity, but there's also sort of that science of, 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 of planning out the tempo, of thinking about how the beats are going to actually drive movement. How much, is, uh, how do you sort of navigate that as a creator? And, um, uh, you know, especially in this, in this genre, which was, you know, with, with elements that were new to you, was it easy for you to sort of pick up and, and, and figure out how to be, um, you know, how to be driving dance and, and movement pretty easily? Yeah, I think for the most part, you know, with the tempo and um, the way we played the beat, though, was one of those things that I uh, always kept in mind. I was, I, you know, regardless of anything else, if people can, like, catch up on the beat and it's not really tripping them up, um, they're always going to move, you know, like, just to that Like, people are going to just dance to that naturally, even if they don't really like the music. Yeah. So um, that was one of the things that, you know, I thought about. I'm like, man, no matter what, you know, people still going to be able to move to it, you know, even if they play it with another song, like they can, can blend right in just because of the tempo, the tempo and, um, and the beats. So, yeah, I just feel like um, just the study of it, like that's pretty much what happened at that party. I was like, man, like no matter what song they play, man, people dance the same exact way. So I was like, I'm like what can, how can I implement my style into that? And, you know, and pretty much get that same interaction, you know? You know what's going to happen now? You're going to have every, every, you know, dude who's held a house party in the last two years in Santa Barbara is going to be calling you up looking for some, uh, looking for some royalties, my friend. Oh man, you know what? You no, know, hopefully, you know, if if it hit that big, you know. <laughs> yeah, but right now, I'm not really worried about them. But know? let's talk about your history with music. Um, I, I've read interviews with you where you kind of cite your your mother and father played an important role in inspiring that. Like, what was your I guess, when, when did music become such a, a, a big part of your life? And how did you balance it with the just incredible requirements required early on with uh, how much you were playing basketball at a high level? Yeah, um, you know, I just think it's one of those things that was in my blood. I think um, certain things that come natural to you, you know, obviously you have to work at it. But uh, for me, you know, music was one of those things that I just gravitated to early at a young age. And, um, you know, I was I guess I just learned how to multitask pretty much. Um, <laughs> you know, I would work on music at night, you know, and then during the days, and 
when I'm playing basketball and stuff during the days, you know, with the homies and stuff. But for the most part, you know, we, you know, we do music at night. So it wasn't necessarily uh, a big deal for me to be doing both as I got older. You know what I mean? When I got to Michigan State, you know, I was making beats before practice, after games, and, you know, you name it. You know, I remember a couple times, you know, Coach Izzo, he wanted me to get a job during the summer. I was like, nah, I can't do it. I was like, I tell him, I'm like, I sell, I sell beats, man. You know, I get a hundred dollars for a beat. Like, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so even <laughs> that, I established that, you know, for myself. So you were getting, you were getting paid and, cal- and look, I'm not trying to get Izzo in trouble here, but like people were paying you for your music all the way back then. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. I was, I was selling beats, hundred dollars a beat. Man, that's crazy. You know, and growing up, you know, around uh, Detroit, I mean, you talk about a city with an incredible musical history. How much did that area specifically influence the types of music you gravitated toward? Oh, man, you know, obviously, you know, the the spirit of the city is Motown, you know. So, you know, just being from the city was always going to be something that was going to influence, you know, all of us, even if we didn't make music. You know, I feel like we were all influenced by, you know, some of the great things that, you know, the Marvin Gaye's and, you know, the temptation and, and, you know, even Michael Jackson did for, you know, Motown and stuff. So I feel like it was, um, it was great, you know, and, um, you know, the people I hung around, you know, they all did music, you know, all my friends and stuff, you know, they pretty much made beats, either they made beats, they sang, they rapped. So it was always something that, um, you know, I was around, you know, you know, sports and music. Being a being a recognizable athlete, do you do you feel like that made people more likely to take your music seriously, or do you feel like it was more of a challenge because they thought, oh, this must be some ego project? He doesn't actually have talent. I'm just wondering what your personal perception was of how your reputation as a as an athlete may have played into people either embracing or shying away from your music. Uh, I think it was both. I think it was a bit of both, man. You know, you can you can even look at it as, as three things. You know, um, maybe like even if they did give me a chance, maybe they just wanted to beat me. Um, two, they probably was like, you know what, you know, he plays he plays ball, so you know he might be good. Or three, you know, um, they pretty much downplayed it. You know, it just yeah. didn't take it at all. And um, I think you know as time progressed, and you know I continue to stay as I continue to stay consistent. Uh, I think it opened up their eyes and their ears to recognize that, like, yo, okay, yeah, he's he's really serious about this and he's good. But um, yeah, I mean, even to this day, even if they don't know, like, the first thing they're going to think is, well, okay, yeah, is you know, just because of the history. You know, a lot of our guys, you know, they tried to step out and do the hoop. I mean, hooping the music thing, and um, it wasn't that you know our guys were bad; just they weren't consistent at it. And I feel like you know, if if you're going to be trying to do two things, you know, at least be consistent and you know a lot of people who do music you know they they kind of look at you like okay uh is he going to disrespect our craft you know what i mean and not take it serious so i think that's pretty much what happened a lot of those guys you know they come in and do one song and then you know they might not do music ever again so i guess it is kind of hard to take it serious if you know um if guys never took it serious in the future i mean i'm sorry in the the past (laughs) are you are you telling me that kobe bryant song with tyra banks wasn't super hot man (laughs) <laughs> with Tyra Banks, I don't think I heard that one. I heard the one with um Brian McKnight. <laughs> it was all right. Oh yeah, no, he did one with Tyra Banks too. That uh, you know, we had uh, NBA writer Shea Serrano on the show a couple 
a couple years ago, and he said that was the worst rap song ever made, <laughs> which I think is pretty <laughs> But, hey, man, you, you know, it's hard to – you got to give Kobe a little bit of a, of a handicap there. He was averaging 29 points a game or whatever when he was, uh, when he was doing that. Let me ask you this. The, uh, so the process of, of kind of you, – you've always been doing music, or it seems like you've been doing music for, for most of your adult life, dating back to, you know, to, even to the college days. But I know a lot of athletes sometimes struggle to find a sense of purpose uh, following their careers. So for you, what was that transition like um, when you ended your, your, your time in the NBA and decided you wanted to sort of, uh, you know, even commit even further to, to music? Did, did you find music was a, 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 a helpful uh, part of that transition? Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, first and foremost, man, I always felt like I've been sp- pretty much spiritually in tune. So that, that helped me always, you know, with just purpose in general, you know, even outside of music, you know, just taking my music and sports and, and just a lifestyle and just using that to be able to serve and help others. But ultimately, yeah, I I, I do think that um, music was, was definitely an outlet, you know, because that was like one of the first things I did, you know, when I got done playing ball was, like, you know, I started doing music full time and um, I started my company, Moeger Productions. And and uh, I kind of hit the ground running. You know, it was a learning experience, just like it still is. And, um, you know, I'm just thankful that I had other things that I was good at, you know, outside of basketball. You know, I just think that a lot of our guys, you know, they get so caught up in just hoops. You know, they don't take the time to even, you know, pick up another craft or they, or even know that they all have one, you know, because a lot of times they do. But, you know, um, they're still engulfed in hoops. You know, they don't necessarily um, give it attention. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thankful for that. You know, when you start, you said, you you know, when you start your company and you start doing this, um, you know, regularly and, 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 you know, linking up with other people and collaborating, you mentioned earlier how there might have been people who just wanted to sort of meet you and, and maybe used music as a, t- a way to do that. You know, hey, the music industry is filled with really great artists and collaborators, but also some shady characters as, as someone who is a notable, uh, someone who's a notable athlete. Uh, did you ever feel like you were sort of targeted as, hey, these guys are just trying to mark me and get me to invest in something that, that they're not going to do. Did you have to be really oh, discerning? Bro, that was like the next thing I was going to say, actually. I'm glad you hit on that point. I think that was probably the toughest thing musically. You know? but, uh, yeah, I'm glad you said that. People try to bring you in and, you know, they act like they like your music. And then, you know, eventually, hey, man, you know, you want to invest in this project. I'm trying to pull a fast one on you, you know, and just thinking that, like, okay, he wants to make it a music that bad. Whereas, like, he will basically, you don't know. So, I mean, you like guys who try to treat you like a new jack, man. You know, that's that's in everything that you do in life. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's jokes on them because they didn't get that out of me, you know. And um, a lot of people I felt probably stopped dealing with me off that just because, you know, I wasn't necessarily interested in investing in their project. And so, you know, when, when with the album that's out, uh, you know, I had a chance to listen to it. I had, I had a great time with it, as I mentioned, like really energetic, really uh, interesting musical styles. I'm just curious, like, um, what was the actual process like from conception through being in the studio through post-production? Because, um, like, for you, I mean, are you someone who really wants to be in the studio, wants to be creating, or are you really striving to just sort of get to the completed project as quickly as possible? Uh, nah, man, I'm pretty hands-on when it comes to music, man. You know, I, um, you know, even with this project, I, I produced it, you know, I wrote it, I record myself, um... I pretty much mix and master it, you know what I'm saying, myself as well. So I think for me, um, yeah, I'm just, I fall in love with the actual whole process as a producer. I got to say, man, uh, as someone who works long hours, I was happy to see uh, Long Ass Week as track number two 
Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, that might be yeah. on my queue on Fridays, man. Let me tell you. Ain't it evident that the kid is having sent? Roof party and they treat me like the president. I remember when they didn't want to let us in. I always get the line, dog. It's me plus seven friends. Circle seven, dog. I keep the circle tight. I'm all about the team in the green Herbalife. Huh? Word up, dog. I know you heard me right. No Conrad Murray, but I'm trying to murder Mike. DJ Hobie, please play this at the function. That is my Friday jam, man. You know, that's one of the joints I play on the Fridays when it's like, man, you know what? About that time, man. It's been a long-ass week. You know, feel good. <laughs> I, you know? I also want to ask you, I don't mean this to sound like I'm uh, being overly jokey either, but I've always wondered this. Especially in hip-hop, there, there comes a point when, when an artist is naming a song, when they need to decide, like, do I want to spell love, L-O-V-E, or do I want to just go L-U-V? How do you decide? How do you decide in the naming process when to do abbreviations like that and when not to? Because I feel like there's no, a lot of times there's not a ton of rhyme or reason to it. It seems like a very personal choice. So from a creator's per- perspective, I'm just curious, like, what's the thought process from you there? Uh, you know what? That's funny. I, I don't know. I just think it's just sometimes it's just a creative thing. You know, sometimes it's you know it's easy to spell love, but you know. Lo- Going off to the songs like that I make, you know, I just wanted to still sound cool. You know what I mean? L O V E still kind of feel like lovey dovey, but you know, L U V still feel like oh yeah, that's kind of swaggy a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not you know like we're in love, but I love you. You know it's cool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, you don't want it to look like my, like the text messages I send to like my four year old daughter. You know, like <laughs> I I see you yeah, want it to have exactly. a little bit of edge to it. I like it. Right. What? Where in the album would you point people who might be checking it out for the first time? Like, do you say just put it on, go straight through, or would you suggest like hit a couple kind of key tracks? Um, no, you know I got my favorite tracks. You know, get it. I'm sorry. Um, get how you live is like one of my favorite joints. Um, Mm -hmm. long long ass week is is pretty cool to me. Um, want a disco? Um, feel so good. I like that record a lot. Um, Pyt is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. What else record? I was kind of just like, you know what? Go ahead. It all depends on what you what you want to feel as well. You know, you got some people out there that's dealing with a with an ex. You know, who kind of kind of played them out, uh, sort of speak. So I might have them listen to Hey Stranger. You know, that might give them, you know, what they need. You know, sometimes people want to hear the the downside of life too, if they're going through some BS. So you know, Hey Stranger might be a good record for them. But uh, other than that, man, yeah, I feel like the whole project is dope, man. It's it's going to be a continuation project. I'm going to have more songs as I go. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I like Bandcamp, because it allows you to do, do those things and um, not necessarily get so um, just caught up in just the um, whole project. You know, it's a continuation project, so. Yeah, and, and the album is at Mo House. Uh, that's M-O-E house dot bandcamp dot com. Um, and then they should check you out on Twitter at uh, at... At Mo Ager. I mean, th- let me ask you this. You know, you're you're very much associated with by a lot of fans with your your great time at Michigan State. They're you know, they've got a season where, you know, they're thinking national championship. If they win, man, are you gonna write the definitive two thousand eighteen, you know, championship jam? Nah, nah, I ain't gonna do it. Nah, I'm gonna let them have it. I did uh Fab on my Spartan series. I did two of those records. Yeah. And they were great, man, but I kinda wanna just leave it at that, man. I feel like that'll be reaching. If I did that, you know, considering I haven't been back to Michigan State you know, in a couple of years, they'd be like, okay, well, he's trying to piggyback off our success. So. <laughs> I would never, you know I would never let them say that. I'm just saying that right now. And that's not because in, in, in three months, I'll be one of those hangers on who's asking you to write our new theme song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, I'm going to go ahead and let them, 
I just hope they win the championship, man. I would like to see Izzo go out with a go out with a chip. You know, one more for him. Yeah. So, um, you know, anything else that what where else do you want to go? Like you said, it's an ongoing project, but what else do you see yourself doing musically um long term? Continuing this style or like you said, you, you've always been sort of a fusion artist. What other what other uh you know, types of music or genres do you want to experiment with? Man, I just want to continue to put together um, whatever music I'm feeling at that moment, man, I don't necessarily want to be tied into one thing, you know. Um, I feel like the next project I put out will have five regular hip-hop songs and five dance songs. You know, I want to be able to do whatever. You dig? I don't necessarily just want to feel like, oh, man, all he's doing is dance music. Nah, like the other day, I'm doing features as well. Like the other day, I did a record. It was more of a darker record. And uh, we rapping. And it's slower. So it's just like, I, I mean, I just want to be able to display all my talents, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. I want people like okay, this guy can produce, he can rap, you know, he make beats, you know, he mixes his own records, you know, he writes his own songs, he record himself, you know. I just want people to see that. Look, there's no excuses. If you if you can't get it done, it's because it's on you. Yeah. And um, we have everything we need in order to be successful. And those kind of the, those are kind of the things I wanted to show people. Like, look, man, be versatile, be great. You know, um, this is a perfect time to be having it be able to have multiple talents and multiple skills. We don't have to be tied down on one thing. Yep. Well, hey, man, I love it. I, we love the album. We wish you nothing but success, and uh, I can't uh, thank you enough for coming on here and promoting. And we are back in the sports world, athletes, coaches, media, you know, they eventually come forward and talk about something they love, something they're passionate about. And we, as a sporting culture, reject that in their face like a Dikembe Mutombo swat at the rim. And we tell them to get back in the film room and be part of, uh, you know, the automaton sports uh, robotic culture that so many people crave. On this show, we reject that. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So we celebrate distractions in the locker room. I'm going to tell you guys what's distracting me this week. I'm going to start. I found all my CDs recently and took them on a road trip to Peoria, Illinois for a panel I was doing with my wife. And as I was flipping through the CDs the last few weeks, I've really noticed a funny trend that I think is now like completely archaic of a number of CDs that I bought just for one song. Like, like I have, a, you know, more than a handful that are just, you know, oh my gosh, like why do I own this? So recently when I'm in the car, I'll pop one in and try to remember like what was it about this band or what was it about this group? And look, everyone knows it's, a, it's an undisputed fact that music peaked uh, between 1985 and 1996, uh, between R.E.M.'s <laughs> Life, Life's Rich Pageant, and then the end of that was um, Tupac and Dre with California Love, non-West Coast Remix Edition in 1996. Uh, so in the heyday of music, I've got a lot of interesting albums. I want to give you guys a couple of these CDs that I have like just for one song, because they get pretty obscure. Here's one, Stroke Nine. <laughs> I had no idea what this was, and apparently I bought this for the song Letters, which is the only song I remembered off the uh, off the CD. I've got a Ben Folds, and I like Ben Folds, but I've got a Ben Folds album called Sa Songs for Silverman, 
which I bought for the song Landed. My wife and I once had a huge argument because we both... The song's about leaving someone for another person, and she thought it was leaving someone you're not really in love with for the person you are in love with. And I said it was a guy fed up with his girlfriend getting picked up at the airport by his good friends. <laughs> it's kind of a fight. <laughs> I've got, oh, I've landed. Yeah, That's like the the chorus, right? I've yeah, got a yeah, CD. Yeah. I've got a CD called nope. F- by by the band Frau Frau, which I I only bought because it had let go the song from garden state's trailer which is really embarrassing which my not liking any part of garden state is one of like my proudest things <laughs> like i stood up at that movie in the theater and i was like that movie sucked i never fell for it like i've fallen for other shit i get it like that's one that i can claim though so <laughs> uh i've got a, a celine dion greatest hits and my wife said oh did did you get this when you were a music critic like sent to you and i was like nope the song <laughs> waiting for you i don't even i don't even know if that's the name of the song this but is it's brad great. this is this is brad burke's journey to the end of taste ladies and gentlemen thank you for this. <laughs> and finally i kind of i want to draft off of this because i have two good ones and, as well and fi- finally the, the, the west indian girl which is a crazy obscure band as oh, far yeah. as i know and the song, What Are You Afraid Of?, which I very clearly remember when I bought it. I heard it on like an AMC promo that was playing during a Halloween horror movie. Um, and I was like, I love that song, and I went and bought it. And really great song. I don't know anything else about the band. I've never even probably listened to the rest of the CD. So, yeah, long live CDs we bought for one songs. It's not a problem in modern America, but damn... It was a huge problem back when CDs cost 16 bucks. All right, Adam, you got a couple builds, you said? Yeah. So the most obscure would be um, there was an artist named Rampage. He was part of Buster Rhymes' Flip Mode Squad. And there's a, mm, there was a nice. song that played on uh, BET quite often called Wild for the Night. And I bought the album for that song and i know there were some other good songs on there or at least i thought so at the time but i have no recollection of it other than that song and then probably the most embarrassing of all is i bought the soundtrack for mr holland's opus <laughs> um, the film also also heard on the bet film. late at night <laughs> yeah well uh there was a song there's a song called Visions of a Sunset by Sean Stockman, member of Boys to Men. Uh, this is when a lot of them were doing solo projects, you know, like Wu-Tang. Uh, and Sean Stockman, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful song, uh, but not exactly the most masculine purchase I've ever made. Can I just make a real quick comment on Mr. Holland's opus? So I remember sure. watching that movie, and uh, you know, just as a as a normal interjection might come your way. So I remember watching that movie, and the scene where his son, where they're at like the parade, and the fire truck is going by. I remember watching that movie and seeing it, and it kind of like goes into slow motion, and I think he's like looking at his son and the realization the audience is supposed to have is that the son isn't reacting to the incredibly loud sirens. And so that's when he realizes that his son might be deaf, but I, for a long time thought, (laughs) Oh my God, the fire engine made the kid deaf. So I was like, (laughs) I, I seriously would get scared when I would hear 
like fire engines or ambulance. I would like plug my ears. I it scared me to be like I'm gonna go deaf if I ever go to a, a parade and see fire trucks again. <laughs> that's all. That, that's it. You know, I didn't understand. Okay. Yeah, you know what's funny, Adam? I was waiting for Joe to be like, if I could interject on Rampage for a second. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> nah. I, yeah, I didn't think that was coming. All right, Adam, what else is distracting you? No, that's it. Okay. Uh, Joe, can I kick it to you? What, what What's on your mind in Seattle, man? Um, honestly, the thing that's been distracting me most lately is uh, I've been watching a bunch of movies... Um and the three Whoa. or four that I I watched most recently were uh Captain Fantastic. Have you guys heard of this movie? Yes, I've heard of it. Who's who's I've heard of it? I haven't watched it. It's um it's really interesting. It's sort of the trailer is sort of it, it makes you think um there's sort of this like wild bunch family. It's like a father raising his kids out in the wild and they're living off the oh, reservation and yeah you sort of realize that um, there's different reasons they're out there and then there's a, a sort of uh, unfortunate circumstances in their family and they have to like come back into society and sort of it's this really interesting way of how this father raises his kids and he you know fuck corporate America and um, you know we're going to kill all of our food and now he has to come back to society and how they sort of reintegrate and clash and it was like funny and emotional and really well shot and just a very interesting movie I enjoyed it um, the other one I recently watched was the the latest Planet of the Apes movie. Have you guys seen any of those movies? Yes. This, this Planet of the Apes movie is one of the most dramatic, heavy movies I've seen in a long time. And that sounds weird to say about a movie that has CGI apes and Woody Harrelson as the antagonist. But it is so well done and, and captivating almost. Seriously, it was so good. It was it was really powerful and and kept my attention all the way through. And I just re I remember just feeling lost and like, holy shit, I'm watching like chimpanzees act, but I'm not. I'm watching motion capture and crazy technology. It was like, and some of the um, uh, Maurice, one of the one of the uh, monkeys in it, is like the detail. The the visuals are insane. Anyways. I, I think the whole the whole new series of the three is really good, and that was the last one I, I watched that the other day. So that I've been watching a lot of movies. Yeah, man, I don't I don't like those apes movies. Like the new ones, they were okay. I just I don't know. Like, I'm not shitting on them, but like some people talk about them like they're masterpieces. I I really think check out this latest one. It's it's really well done. I think you would like it. I'll I'll be sure to tune in in four years when I get the energy to like and the time to like <laughs> watch another apes movie. All right, Gareth, uh, close us out. Distracting. What's distracting you, man? So I've also been watching uh, some movies recently. It's screener season here at the in a DGA household, and Joe Reed, that Planet of the Apes movie actually showed up uh, a couple weeks ago. So I will move that to the top of the queue. Um. I want to talk about two other movies I've been watching. One is another movie I got a screener for, but I did see in the theater, but I just want everyone to go back and watch it. If you haven't, Logan, that movie is similar to what Joe is saying about Planet of the Apes, is one of the most 
basically it's taking Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine and putting him in a Western and it follows the tropes of a Western and he has to like save a girl, a young girl, things like that. He is so good. And I really hope that Hugh Jackman gets nominated for an Oscar for best actor for that movie. He's so physical. He's so emotional. He basically has to play two characters at certain points I just thought his range and the physicality of the role was astonishing. And he did such a good job with it. I, I just, I honestly think that he is one of, it was one of the best performances I've seen in years. So go back and watch Logan, a very good movie in and of itself. You know, some typical plot questions like any comic book movie, but Hugh Jackman's performance was great. There's one other movie I've been watching a lot of that I want to discuss. And that is Mr. Holland's opus. So in the director's cut, Hell yeah, man. In the director's cut, the son is not deaf and just walks off like Kaiser Sose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that's our show for this week. Episode ninety nine in the books. Next week we will be back with our hundredth episode. A fun reminiscence of. Uh, of the uh the the uh the the i guess tour of duty on just not spores but also business as usual uh giving you guys the stuff that you want from us all right and with that i want to give a shout out to our uh i want to give a shout out to our guest this week maurice ager uh best of luck with his music career uh shout out to joe reed shout out to gareth hughes shout out to tom brady's ghostwriter nutritionist adam who do you want to give a shout out to uh, as usual, I'd like to give a shout out to my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Lil Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and of course, my other cousin Ron. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. <laughs> <laughs>